Rogue Media. <laughs> my name is Bo York. And my name is Matthew Bell. Two years ago, we set out to review Arrow Season 1 and what quickly became iTunes' number one featured Arrow podcast. Then, we totally dropped the ball. Now it's up to us to review each season, bringing future knowledge like only Flash podcasters can. To do this, we will focus on someone else. We must create something else. This is the Arrow TV Talk Podcast. Welcome to Arrow TV Talk, the podcast... It's back, baby. That's right. I'm Bo. And I'm Belle. Belle. Man, how are you doing tonight? I am excited to talk about a show that Ye- I hadn't seen in a while, but <laughs> 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 much much like Slade Wilson in season two of Arrow Spoilers, sorry, uh, <laughs> Arrow TV Talk is back. Yeah. And we're here not to ruin Oliver Queen's life, but to enrich all of yours. Yes. Okay. So is, I mean, it, the fates have aligned, right? I mean, we've got spoilers, uh, dead, dead, uh, dead, Deadpool. <laughs> Deadstroke. Got, is that what we got? We got Deadstroke. <laughs> we got, uh, Deathstroke returning to Arrow, uh, right at the same time that we're going back to what was, uh, I, I'll go ahead and say it. I don't think that this is too controversial to say it. The greatest season of the Arrow, uh, television series, Arrow season two, in which, uh, Deathstroke really became the powerhouse that he is. In fact, in many respects, Arrow season two was a you know pseudo coming of age, if you will. It is when these characters really found their footing. It's when Oliver became a hero. It's when we got to see Deathstroke become a villain. It's where we got to see the origins of this version of the Black Canary. Uh, and you know, depending on how you take it, and we'll talk a little bit about that as well. But uh, man, Arrow season two, I've got to tell you, I am so excited to uh, go down memory lane with you, take a look back at what was, like I said, uh, for my money, the greatest season of Arrow thus far. Yeah, of all, so I've only seen maybe four or five episodes of season three, um, but yeah, by far season two was a fantastic experience. All right, well, this is interesting then. Okay, I did not realize that you were not fully up to speed. Now, let's give a little bit of preference here. Of course, you guys know that we've been talking Flash nonstop for the last three plus years. Uh, However, we, uh, you know, Bell is uh, a podcaster who follows Legends, uh, Legends of Tomorrow with Legends TV Talk. And, you know, I was even thinking about it going back and rewatching Arrow season two, but we got just jam packed in this season with DC TV characters as well as DC comic book characters. But, you know, this is the origins of Sarah Lance, who has gone on to become the star of her own show in a very different capacity than what we've seen here. Yes, in a very different character. It's so biz- like the the uh, I watched several episodes, kind of like the primer to uh, uh, refresh yourself in season two, if you will. Mm. And, uh, just seeing Sarah Lance in season two of arrow and then comparing her to what she is in legends of tomorrow is a, it's a very stark contrast. It's, it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, especially like, you know, the beginning episodes when, you know, it shows her on the boat and, uh, just how, you know, innocent and juvenile she was (laughs) compared to this, you know, league of assassins fledgling pseudo hero kind of thing. Anti-hero. Antihero, yeah, I think I think antihero is okay because she's she's kind of like a season one, uh, a, a season one Oliver in that she she doesn't have any hesitations about killing people, and uh, you know she's still sort of mm. you know she's working with the League of Assassins, which I mean that's not necessarily like a good 
good guys, you know? No, that's good. It's almost like she's kind of this tie to who he was, but also a, a nod to who he will be. Uh, when we see Sarah, she arrives on the scene. She is already decked out in hero's gear. Um, you know, she's got that device that's shattering ears and shattering glass. Um, she, she is personified. She is kind of a, you know, quote unquote superhero personified to the extent that this universe has given us. Um, but like you say, she is, she is an assassin. She's a killer, a remorseful one at that. You know, we, we get the hints, uh, early on that she does not want her family to even know that she's alive less about the fact that, you know, she is alive and more about the fact that she doesn't want to face the truth of what she's become. Yes, I would agree with that. Bell, they've really done something interesting here with season two. Uh, they they really just pulled out all the stops. We got tons of characters, tons of DC references, uh, and and one some that would play hugely into the future, and some that were just kind of one offs that we would never uh, necessarily see again. But probably one of the most impactful uh, DC, I guess not necessarily characters per se, but organizations that's featured heavily in the season and would go on to play even larger roles in later season is the League of Assassins, an organization more commonly associated with Batman. But we find out that Sarah has been trained by the League of Assassins. And it's interesting because just that right there, the the training of the League of Assassins gets used in this season to great avail, and I think probably overused in later seasons to less avail, as kind of this quick way of letting us as a viewership know that, oh, okay, she can handle herself. You know what I mean? Yeah, we're, you know, okay, so she's got League of Assassins training, so then we don't have to worry about her so much as being a damsel kind of character because the League isn't something to be you know, underestimate it. Exactly. In fact, you know, this is really, you know, this season we, we, we see, you know, Sarah come into play as, as the black canary. We also see Roy stepping up into what will become, uh, his, his speedy slash arsenal slash red arrow type of persona, uh, with arsenal, you know, as, as we saw speedy kind of coming up, I, I guess I really shouldn't call him speedy, but, uh, <laughs> as we see Roy coming up throughout, uh, you know, the, in, in this season and, and making that move, I was kind of interested to see how that was going to play out because, you know, what, what do we have? We got Diggle who's special ops. We've got, uh, Sarah who's been trained by the league of assassins. We've got Ollie who's got that Island training. Uh, and, and, you know, we've got, uh, Felicity who is not a field agent. She is, you know, she's super hacker, which is cool. Um, but then we've got Roy who's street urchin. You know what I mean? Like they're training him. But there's nothing necessarily at this point, in my opinion, that gives him that cred. And it was interesting to see the contrast of these two ancillary characters of Black Canary and uh, we'll just go ahead and call them Arsenal for now. Uh, but characters who are destined to be superheroes, of course, obviously, in Canary's case, she already is. But but those that are actually supporting him and the fact that because of that League of Assassins training, we get it. Sarah's she, she can handle herself. Roy doesn't have that. And even leading up to the big finale... I thought Roy gonna die, except for the <laughs> fact, of course, that he's got the Mirakuru. And that really added an interesting kind of um I, I guess a, a twist on his character. Now now are you familiar with the character Roy Harper? Uh just from watching season two and season one, uh of But Arrow, I mean like really, the that's, origins, that's, the the original character. Uh now correct me if I'm wrong, but this was the uh the same sidekick of arrow that was on heroin for a while exactly yeah so roy harper speedy in the comics he was the original sidekick of the green arrow and yes there was a 
uh, there was an entire series. Well, I say entire series. It was, it was kind of like a one-off issue, but there was a storyline in which uh, Roy was addicted to, I don't think they ever called it heroin, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was just like, you know, he, he was just on drugs. In fact, there's this very- yeah. Go ahead. Well, the, with the comics code as it is, they probably couldn't refer to heroin as heroin, but they they showed like the intravenous, uh, you know, drug use and things like that. And I think they just mentioned drugs. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, I mean, yeah. in fact, actually, I, I, there's that iconic cover of, you know, Green Arrow looking at uh, Speedy as Speedy's got, you know, he's grasping his arm. I think the syringe is even there. And he says, I can't believe my you know, sidekick, my uh, youthful ward is a junkie. <laughs> you know? Yeah, youthful ward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so but that was a big, big uh, a comic. And in, in, uh, when it came out, you know, that was a huge thing because comics hadn't traditionally dealt with those kind of societal issues. That's exactly right. And so, you know, here they they take a twist on that, right? We don't necessarily see Roy in the same kind of capacity, but we do see him shooting up drugs uh, in the sense that they were kind of forced upon him with the Mirakuru. Um, Mirakuru introduces something uh, very new to the, the, se- the series and really the universe as a whole. I'm going to go ahead and say the concept of metahumans. Although, would you say that if you – hmm, let me frame it this way. Is Slade Wilson and Roy for, for a time here, are they, are they metahumans? No. Okay. They, they are superhuman. They are not metahuman. Eh, okay. So what, what, what do you say is the okay, difference Okay. Is Captain America a mutant? Uh, no. That's, that's well, it depends difference. on depends on which uh, <laughs> I guess it depends on which universe you're talking about. If I'm not mistaken, the Ultimates argument is that yes, really. I think the whole idea was that uh, the Super Soldier Project was connected to Weapon X or something of that nature, and so like they were. But I guess Captain America wasn't okay. Fair enough. All right, so no to answer your question. So so that that's kind of how I view it is that metahumans is a genetic thing. Uh, you have a meta gene, so you know genetic based whereas mirakuru has nothing really to do with your genes per se uh it's just a super soldier serum that may or may not kill you and if you don't die uh then you become super strong superhuman okay okay all right fair enough i'll give it to you i'll give it to you all right well but one way or the other i think superhuman is i guess the the key component here right because arrow has been historically very Nitty gritty, like very much kind of, uh, you know, street level crime. Everything's realistic. Even some more quote unquote super elements from the comics that were introduced into this season were very much kind of um, brought back down to earth. You know, I'm, I'm thinking very specifically of the, the character of, um, uh, you know, Dr. Ivo. And in fact, you know, we, uh, Dr. Ivo, uh, who is our professor Ivo, rather, who is a character who's responsible for creating the android Amazo. Uh, Amazo being an android that could actually copy the superpowers of the Justice League. And this was different. <laughs> so Professor Ivo here is a chemist and uh, and uh, quote unquote Amazo is the boat that he's on. So, you know, on the one hand, we're dealing with a lot of new concepts with, you know, super serums and such. And, you know, Solomon Grundy and kind of the interesting things they've done with with that character. But instead of Solomon Grundy being brought back to life via magic, he's brought back to life via the serum, the serum which gives superpowers, you know, that is a chemical superpowers as opposed to the android, the superpowered android that Dr. Ivo would do. So you see what I'm saying? Like they introduced some super elements, but they did so in a very kind of sneaky way. Yeah, it wasn't very uh, uh, faithful to the original comics <laughs> for any of those characters. Yeah. How do you feel about that? 
you know, it's 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 one of those things where uh, it, if they had brought Professor Ivo, who created this, you know, cyborg, it, it wouldn't have made any sense at all. There, there's no way they could have put that character in Arrow season two. I don't think. I don't know. So at that point, I don't know why even call him Professor Ivo. Uh, why not just make him a new guy mm. that, you know, just a new character altogether on the boat. Like I, I, I don't see, cause if you're not going to make him be the professor Ivo of the comics and at least have some kind of, you know, something more similar to his comic book origin, it doesn't make sense to use the character in my opinion. Well, okay. So here's my thing with this. Like, yes, we got, we got professor Ivo and it's kind of a different take. And yes, the boat was called a but that's going to lead me to this week's um, oh, we don't do that here. <laughs> arrow assessment. Um, hmm. I like it. Alliteration. That uh, works. Arrow alliteration? No, wait. Uh, oh, I was doing alliteration. Um, yeah. Arrow apostrophification. What, what is something about something where you're speculating, but it starts with an A? Arrow assumptions? A- oh, that's it. That's it. Uh, that's going to lead us to a random arrow assumptions. That'll be fun. Copyright Matt Bell. <laughs> we'll, we'll use that from time to time. Okay. What if Bell, now that we're in like a world, a universe that's a lot more super, right? In fact, even they, they teased it out. We, we'll talk about Barry Allen here in a, in a minute, but you know, we, we've got a world that's getting more super and now four or five seasons in, we're looking at a very super world, super universe. What if they reintroduce the concept of Professor Ivo making a surprise comeback? Oh, or better yet, oh, scratch that. All right, Ivo's dead, right? Yeah. Okay, so Ivo dead, but the boat- Right, I mean, he did, he did die at season two, right? Yeah, the hand sliced off. So the yeah, boat right. blows up with everybody in it, right? We, we see that. Okay, so what if we introduce the character of Tio Morrow? Okay. Now it could be it could be Arrow, it could be Legends, it could be Flash. But what if we have Tio Morrow uh going? He's on the island, he finds the wreckages of Amazo, and in it he also finds some like paperwork, some blueprints that Ivo had worked together for kind of an alternative medical solution, which was more of an Android solution. And then Tio Morrow creates the Amazo that we know from the comics, who can actually replicate superhuman powers. That would be an interesting challenge, especially for your boys over at Legend, for boys and girls over at Legend. Yeah, you know, I could see that working. It could be a thing where the only reason why Professor Ivo is is going the Mirakuru route is because the plans that he came up for his uh, Amazo cyborg robot thing he there's he just he realized the technology wasn't there. Well, what I would uh, even argue is like you could tell it in such a way that like. Amazo, he didn't even like name it Amazo. It's just that like literally the Tiamaro finds it in the wreckage of Amazo. And so like that's where he builds it in the wreckage of Amazo with like all the scraps and everything. And so then he names it after the boat. Right. I would think he would find the plans in it and then take the plans elsewhere to build it. No, maybe that as well. But one way or the other, that's that's kind of the the concept. And I think that would work out pretty well. Tiamaro a uh, comic uh, comic book uh, character who, you know, aside from the fact that his name is literally Tomorrow, would make for a really <laughs> interesting <laughs> villain of Legends of Tomorrow, uh, because he's also responsible for creating the uh, the Red Tornado, and uh, and kind of having a lot of ties to you know technologically powered super androids, and so I, I think that could be cool. Like I said, Amaza would be make for a really interesting foil for the Legends of Tomorrow, and they did lay lay the groundwork here. 
uh, for something that I think could pay off later. So I'm just going to throw that out there uh, for for an arrow assumption. <laughs> All right. So so another thing that we got uh, in, in terms of like DC TV universe expanding uh, is, of course, the introduction of Barry Allen. Now, they went into this knowing full well what they were doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. This is this, had, you know, backdoor pilot written all over it. Mm-hmm. And for two episodes, too. And I would argue this is the way to do a backdoor pilot for whatever the spinoff is. And I think that the DCTV universe has not done it nearly as well since because Barry showing up on the scene is exciting from, you know, a fan's perspective. But for somebody who's never been aware of the character or doesn't necessarily know anything about him, you don't have to. All you need to know is that, like, you know, he's he's a scientist. He's coming in. He's he's helping out with the team. He plays a valuable role into the narrative that exists and not one that's forced in just because now we have Barry Allen here. And so I really dug this two-part introduction of Barry Allen, which, by the way, we actually did a, a full uh, review of each episode during our season zero of, uh, of Flash TV Talk. That is true. Uh, it, it was also this is another one of those instances where just like seeing Sarah Lance, uh, Barry Allen from season two of Arrow, it's so different from Barry Allen of season three. Of really? Flash. <laughs> really, though? I thought so. Like, he's, he, you know, he doesn't do nearly as much of the sciencey stuff like he, he's just offloaded that onto his team. Yeah. Yeah. No, all right. Granted, you're right. It, but but in terms of characterization, no, man, Barry Allen has not changed at all. <laughs> Like he's, he's exactly the same. I mean, kind of this season's been kind of weird just because there's the whole, you know, uh, hanging over his head of, of, of uh, Iris uh, being killed by Savitar. You know, that, that's that kind of hanging over his head. So he's got he's, he's a little bit less happy go lucky and cheerful as he as he was in in season two of Arrow because of that, you know, grim overshadowing. I don't know, but, man. You know, he's, he's always got that Barry Allen grin that'll just like, all right, man. You know, like, yeah, yeah, what'd yeah. you do? You but, broke time. That's fine, buddy. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I just pat you on the back and hand you a beer. It's okay. I mess up time all the time. Yeah, Don't worry yeah, about yeah. It. That's all right. Let's let's go 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 hang out. We'll have a father son conversation. It'll be fine. That's why everybody <laughs> wants to be his dad because they all want to give him attaboys, even when he destroys the timeline. Just it's all right, buddy. You get him next time, son. <laughs> yeah, don't don't worry about it. Oliver not thrilled about uh, Barry being introduced into the the secret layer and everything. We, uh, you know, we we get uh, i guess oliver confessing to some extent to the team that that the reason why he brought in diggle and felicity is because he did his background checks that he, he followed each of them which we saw that in season one but i don't know yeah. that we we got kind of you know them finding out that they were so heavily vetted before brought it being brought in so yeah that was uh that was kind of an interesting sort of thing there like i wonder if that was a realization that you know well you know how would you feel if like somebody invites you into a place and uh, and you're like, oh, this is so cool. I get to, you know, I'm doing this with this, you know, this hero guy. I'm helping out this vigilante. And the only reason he was in there is because, you know, he'd been spying on you for six years, <laughs> you know, making sure that you were up to snuff, as it were. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if they just saved my life, you know, <laughs> I think that that plays well, something good to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, you know, in Barry's case, it's like he didn't get that, you know, leeway as far as uh, what, you know, his background checks and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you know, saving his life, I think that's. That kind of uh, that's that's up there. Speaking the of chart. speaking of uh, you know the the constant expanding of the DC TV universe in the season, um, you know the first half of the season before Slade really took on as 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 the big bad 
we were introduced to the character Brother Blood. Now, what's interesting about the way that they kind of you know portrayed Brother Blood and this kind of cult mentality and uh, and everything, and it's 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 really great. Brother Blood and Deathstroke are commonly and historically Teen Titans villains, and not necessarily villains of Arrow. So, you know, we, we've seen throughout, I mean, I would argue throughout the entire series of Arrow is kind of like taking a character of Oliver Queen, somebody that is lesser known to the common audience at that time. Now, obviously, things have changed because of the way they've, uh, you know, the popularity of the show and such. But for the most part, Oliver Queen was not nearly as well known, uh, but they utilized alternative stories than going too heavily into his source material. Uh, what I mean by that is that, you know, if you go back and watch Arrow season one, killing notwithstanding, it's pretty much paying a lot of heavy homage to Batman, uh, even in this season with the League of Assassins. Again, that's a lot of Batman references going on. And then with the Teen Titans elements of Deathstroke, of Brother Blood, of Ravager, who, uh, of course, uh, we see more more appropriately in her garb as kind of the you know, almost kind of like a female Deathstroke type costume. Uh, you know, these these are all Teen Titans characters and Teen Titans villains, not necessarily associated with Oliver Queen. Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? Because I, I get the feeling that the showrunners sort of, you know, they approached uh, uh, Warner Brothers and DC Comics and were like, hey, uh, we want to do a show about Batman. They're like, nope. All right. <laughs> we want to do a show about the Teen Titans. Nope. <laughs> okay, we want to do a show. Who will you give us? Green Arrow? All right. <laughs> just, you know, it's like, well, you know what? We're still going to make all of Batman's villains and the Teen Titan villains come on this show because uh, <laughs> just to spite them. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take Green Arrow and make him a household name. That'll be hilarious. <laughs> yeah, like, take that. We're going to build our entire DC television universe on the backs of Oliver Queen. <laughs> and then they did, which is great. Yeah. Uh, oh man. But that's the thing. So Deathstroke, Brother Blood, you know, more commonly associated with Teen Titans. I loved the, you know, the gritty portrayal of both characters here, Deathstroke especially. Um, we also got uh some Easter egg nods in here as well. We got Harley Quinn in her uh, you know, just kind of the the behind the behind closed doors. We never actually see her per se, but um correct me if I'm wrong, Belle, but the the actress that portrayed Harley Quinn is actually the voice actress who brought the character to life in the Batman animated series. I think you're correct. Uh, I, 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 I'm not because uh, she she could totally play the part. Definitely. Uh, now, here's yeah. the question, though. Do you think had we not gotten a Suicide Squad movie that we would have seen Harley Quinn reappearing in Arrow? Uh, absolutely. The, the reason why the Suicide Squad on Arrow was killed off was because of the movie. Is that is that confirmed or is that like fan assumption? I don't I, I think it was uh, I think Guggenheim. Uh, came out and said something like that. Because, mm. uh, or, or no, it was one of the actresses or actors or a couple of them corroborated or something like that. They were saying that, you know, the, the, they were pushing to, to move away from Suicide Squad because the movie was coming out. And so it kind of hampered a lot of what they could do with them. Yeah. Gosh, that's always so frustrating. I mean, we, we've seen this before, you know, in, in Smallville. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of kind of speculation that is pseudo confirmed that a lot of storylines that were going into uh, certain seasons of Smallville had to be changed midway through because of movies coming out because you had, you know, the Superman movies. And then you also had the Batman films that were, were coming out at the time. And that was a character they very much wanted to use for, you know, a Superman origin story is, is kind of having Bruce Wayne as a, as a character. And that would have been amazing, but I didn't do it. And that's fine. 
But one way or the other, we did get a Harley Quinn uh, Easter egg and, of course, Suicide Squad uh, playing a pretty uh, pretty active role here in the form of Argus. So we have Amanda Waller, who uh, was referenced in season one, but this is the first time that we actually see her here. Now, in very stark contrast to her comic book counterpart, we have a very fit and thin Amanda Waller, who is typically portrayed in the comics as a, she's a, she's a heavyset gal. Yeah, that was really weird to me. Is it, is it they they chose that route for Amanda Waller? Because yeah, she's so iconically this just big, well, short. She's like but- a female kingpin. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, you get the <laughs> yeah, sense that like exactly. if you got in a boxing match with her, you'd she'd KO you in one punch. But like like yeah. she's like she she's thick. You know what I, I mean? mean? Like she, yeah, yeah, yeah. She thick, but like she's short, and so she's just hitting you in the kidneys over and over again. And <laughs> you know, yeah. But uh, it, it, it was weird. I, I wonder why they did that. I, I didn't know if that was a, a decision that they had made because since, you know, this character isn't that well-known, I guess, outside of, of, of fans of, uh, you know, other DC properties, if this was just a decision they made to make the character more appealing. I, have is, no idea. I mean, is that the uh, that's that's unfortunate if that's the case, because, you know, I mean, like, is it is it the CW being like, oh, we can't have, you know, a heavy set character in, in a CW show. Name one heavy set character. No, I know. I'm, I'm, I think, I think you might be onto something. If that's, if that's the case, well, we need to go back in time and figure out if, if they got the appropriate, you know, uh, response to that. Cause that, that is unfortunate if that is the case, but you're right. It's that's, that sounds like textbook CW. Um, and she's young too. I mean, you know, that's frustrating, but it is what it is. Yeah. One way or the other. I mean, the actress, not not to downplay, you know, this this take on on Amanda Waller. I mean, obviously, she didn't have to be, you know, big to come off across as powerful. You got the fact that she owned a room whenever she was in it. So they did a good job in terms of portraying the character, regardless of kind of the yeah. physique situation. But one way or the other, yeah, no. So we got Amanda Waller, we got KG Beast, who honestly I did not realize at the time that I was viewing it that he was actually KG Beast, the Russian on the ship. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't put two and two together to figure out and in all fairness, I'm not as familiar with KG beast as a character from the comics. I know, I know the name more than I know the actual character. Yeah. That, that's pretty much my only exposure to him as well. Yeah. Um, but we did, uh, we did get him. I mean, just numerous, uh, numerous characters as they kind of expanded out the DC, uh, you know, universe, you know, the facts, uh, I'll, I'll kind of pull it back to the, uh, League of Assassins here. The fact they went with uh, uh, Nisa Al Ghul as opposed to Talia was interesting, and I, I almost kind of wonder if they did that because of the movie, uh, you know, the movie connections and, and not being able to use those characters, or if they wanted to mirror uh, Talia's relationship with Batman with uh, Nisa's relationship with Sarah. You know, you get the kind of constant calling of beloved, which is something that we've seen Talia do a lot in the comics with Batman and kind of that intense, uh, you know, just intense passion that kind of exists between the two of them. Very much mirrored here in the in the connection that she has with Sarah. Yeah, that is interesting, too, because I wonder if it's, uh, you know, since since Batman, whatever, for whatever reason, Warner Brothers in, in D.C. doesn't want Batman on television. So, uh, yeah, I wonder if that was Fox. a decision because. Right. Sorry. Is it still tied to that whole Fox thing? I don't know. Uh, like, but like, it's, I, I can't recall. That's I'm, you know, I'm sure there's books and novels and everything else that uh, that could have been uh, could, that have probably been written about it. But I, I, I am kind of curious if if that has anything to do with the old '66 series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, because <laughs> that's <laughs> the last that time. That's the last time that he was in live action on television. Yeah. And maybe there's, there's just like, I don't know, I guess there's a bad taste in their mouth and they just, 
but it's such a great it's a great show it's a great show why would anyone not well i mean it's it's of the time it's of the time yes it's not it is yeah so it's brilliant (laughs) and honestly if you want to see batman 66 brought into modern times just watch any of the joel shoemaker batmans Uh, well no that's that yeah that's exactly right and you saw what the response was for those so i don't yeah yeah. that's why exactly why (laughs) well but the the, the problem was is that joel shoemaker decided that he wanted to do that but he didn't do that he kind of like sort of did that he's just playing with toys but what what they're not doing here i mean in many respects man you could even argue that arrow in season one and and even in season two is almost like a very like hard pushback to that. And in much the same respect that the Dark Knight Returns was kind of a, a pushback on the 66 portrayal of the character, uh, here we've got a hero who's been killing. Now, this season in particular is interesting because it actually has uh, a couple of themes going on throughout the season. And one of them is very specifically um, the idea of redemption. Uh, you know, we get Oliver Queen, who has been a killer. He says it very specifically in the intro. He's trying to go down a different path now. Um, we also get a lot of characters going through this as well. We got Moira, um, who goes through a very interesting and slightly unbelievable journey throughout this season in terms of kind of public respect. And, you know, when we first were introduced to her in season one, you know, she bad. Oh, yeah, she bad. Now, when we introduce, when we get, when we touch base with her here in season two, she's caught she she got you know she she tried to try to clear her name but when it's all down to it she's in jail so you know she's sad oh yeah she's sad but everything starts getting better for her she gets out of jail things are looking up so you know she she glad oh she glad but before it's all said and done you know slade comes in does a whole you know pick one and whatnot and uh yeah she did she ain't gonna be in arrow season three no she did she did uh (laughs) yeah so she she went through quite a few uh a little you know ups and downs and then a permanent down (laughs) yeah down uh like five feet under down um man but moira does she goes through this kind of uh redemption arc right like she has to in order for us to feel her death not as the death of a villain but the death of a mother she really kind of has to go from a pretty low place to to a high place to kind of end up in that center. Um, the notion of her being a legitimate mayoral candidate, well, never mind. I was going to say that it doesn't make <laughs> sense. How could such a criminal become such a widely received politician that would be elected into office? Uh, uh, you know, Mora could be responsible for the deaths of thousands of people in the Glades and people would still vote for her. Clearly. Yeah. Clearly. But um, – Man. Anyway, so one way or the other. So yeah, Samoyra so does go through that uh, that that journey of her own redemption. Uh, well, and that was a great, great story arc, by the way. Like, yeah, uh, uh, fantastic job. There's also the hero's yeah. choice element to this as well, which is you know somewhat of a uh, let's say trope, but not necessarily a bad trope. Uh, of course, where the hero is uh, you know put in a place by the villain to make a choice. Uh, you know, the, a very defining scene in which he has to choose. Uh, Oliver has to choose between shadow and. Uh, and Sarah. Now, you know, Belle, what do you think when it comes down to it? Why did Oliver choose Sarah? Uh, I mean, maybe because he feels responsible for her being on the island in the first place. He He's known her for longer. I think when it comes down to it, I think you're right on with the first thing, which is that Sarah, like he feels responsible when it's all said and done um, for, for her being there. Now, I mean, she, she was on the boat of her own free will. It's not his, it's not his choice that put her in that situation. Um, But I do think that he does carry kind of the weight of responsibility 
of uh, of seeing the reason why she's there as as his. So if someone's like you know if if it comes down to it, he's in that place now in his journey that he's willing to sacrifice himself more so for her. Shadow, on the other hand, I think he sees as a little bit more of both an equal, if not like a mentor and kind of a leader. And so he doesn't feel the need to die for her uh, in kind of that same way. Now, I will say overall, I was a little frustrated by by the way that they kind of took Shadow's character. We we now know that the very reason she exists was to die for this kind of this this pivotal moment. Pretty unfortunate in my in, in my opinion. I love I love the character of Shadow. I mean, I realize uh, you know, how, how that scene was used and how it was such a impactful moment for the entire series and everything. And I'm not saying that her death was meaningless because I, I don't think that at all, but at the same time, like you said, we, we got a Sarah who is not a damsel. She's been trained. She's gone through, you know, the league of assassins and, and everything else and in, in kind of present day, but then we see her constantly kind of put in a, in a damsel type role. And so I'm very kind of confused about the way that they kind of portray some of these characters at times. Well, but I mean, Sarah at that point wasn't quite, she wasn't League of Assassin's trained by then, was she? I had a hard time kind of following that. I wasn't entirely sure one way or the other, but in all fairness, it got a little timey-wimey there. So I, I think, no, what, what happened was the Queen Gambit goes down. She gets rescued by Ivo. She stays with Ivo for a year. Because she was uh, talking about even on the island how she wanted her parents not to know about like where she was, which was the same mindset that she had later on after the League of Assassins. Well, she probably did some bad stuff for Ivo. What did she do for Ivo? I mean, we don't know because she was with him for a year. Fair enough. Um, like, yeah, the first year while uh, you know Ollie's on the island, she's with Ivo. Then Ivo's boat sinks. She dies, quote unquote, again, and then she goes to be with the League of Assassins. Got it. So, all right, fair enough. So we've got so we got a Sarah. Then that all right. I, I see what you're saying, but all, all the more reason why it's a little bit more frustrating where we kind of constantly see her in this damsel role. I mean, I guess there's there's something to be said for kind of the character progression and kind of the the desire to not be in that situation in the first place, which kind of you know the empowering, so to speak, of the League of Assassins training and such, and who she ends up becoming. But I don't know. In, in a grander narrative, it is a little uh, little off-putting, but overall, uh, one way or the other, uh, the hero's choice is definitely in this one. Uh, who, li- who lives, who dies, who tells your story, that is the hero's choice for Oliver <laughs> Queen. Masks, Bell. Masks is another series, uh, another uh, uh, theme of this uh, this season. You know, we get the idea of uh, not just masks and the the kind that Barry leaves for Oliver and Oliver eventually gives to Roy, but we get masks in terms of actual people uh, where, in fact, Brother Blood and his entire cult, who all are wearing masks, uh, they are actually in and of themselves the mask of Slade Wilson. Yes, they're his, you know, hiding him in plain sight, so to speak. I liked that idea, too, that concept, because... You know, we even get the uh, the monologue kind of early on of blood going into, you know, war masks and everything else and kind of the reasoning for wearing his his mask. But but the fact that even just the mask is just a mask of a mask. I don't know. I, I, I loved that. And I loved the fact that, like, you know, when it comes down to it, when we get to the big battle at the end, we've got so many people wearing the Deathstroke mask and, and just kind of this symbolism behind that too of, you know, the Mirakuru and giving yourself kind of holistically to this kind of uh, primal urge and such. And and so this, this deterioration of who you are as an individual that's being hidden behind the mask. Well, yeah. And then they had the, the Slade Wilson mask, 
because Slade is Deathstroke at that point, you know, like he, oh, he's, he's been full on Deathstroke. So like Slade Wilson, like, and there's a great scene. I think it's what episode 15 when he goes over to the queen household and Oliver. Oh. Sees and that, that's a, that's a great scene, dude there because that's yeah he because he has his slate wilson mask on and he's just charming the crap out of moira uh the woman that he's going to kill several episodes later uh and 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 he's just playing it super cool and oliver's just super pissed <laughs> and it's yeah they, they did such a great job with that and it, yeah they, they, that mask themes you know it just it runs throughout the whole series and, and they did such a good job with it on all the characters you know that that particular episode the one where he takes the tour of the house and he puts all the cameras up and everything that one in particular man i, I know it's kind of a trope ish but it's one of my favorites and that's when you've got the hero and the villain and they both know that the other one knows that they know but no yeah. one else around Rounds them knows what's going on. And so they all have to kind of maintain this status quo so that the conversation they're having has two levels to it. Like even like <laughs> yeah. Oliver delivering some of those lines, like, 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 so what do you want to do next, Mr. Wilson? Like, you know, and, and the, the, the kind of, um, uh, you know, the, the, the way in which, uh, Sarah organizes the team, right? And she gets, she gets him in and she gets, uh, uh, Roy to get behind him and she comes up and they're all having, you know, from the outside looking in, they're all just having a conversation. But Slade is assessing the situation and he recognizes that he's just been surrounded. You know, like that kind of intensity in the midst of normality is fan freaking tastic. I yeah. loved that episode. Yeah, Manu Bennett did such a good job there, and Oliver or uh, 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 Stephen and Mills as well. Yeah, yeah, it was it was so. <laughs> could you imagine being Moira in that room? Where like they're like, so what are we gonna do next, Mister Slade? She's like what? What? what oh, is I going- don't know, Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, why are you guys being so hostile to one another? <laughs> she's kind of like that. She's kind of like that the entire time, anyway. But it, it, I, I just yeah. that was so good. Uh, and also, of course, set up what was kind of his uh, trump card that he had throughout the uh, the rest of the season, which is you know the the eyes and ears inside the Queen Mansion. Um, you know the the creepy moment at the end of that that particular episode where he goes back, and of course the payoff for that later at the very finale. When, you know, Oliver sets the trap, he uses uh, Felicity as bait, not the first time that she's been used as bait. Uh, and, um, well, let me put it this way. Belle, you remember when Elicity was just a trick to throw off Slade Wilson? That was hilarious. Elicity was never just a trick to throw off Slade Wilson. Elicity's been there since day one. Hashtag Elicity for life. Elicity for life. Yeah, man. Like, like, yeah, whatever. I mean, <laughs> see, this is, this is what happens. You, you, what was, what was, what, what was that girl that you had to thank for, for the Barry? You want to bury? I'm batty for Patty. Baby. You were, you were batty for Patty. See, this is not, that's what I'm saying, man. You're like hashtag Elicity, hashtag batty for Patty. No, I'm not saying, whoa, 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 hold on. Let me stop you there. I'm not saying that like Elicity is like my thing and that I think Elicity is where it's at. I really, I, I don't I don't know because I don't really follow Arrow all that much to really have an opinion on it because I, I hadn't seen the good. I hadn't seen the bad. Uh, but yeah, that's that was always going to be there. Like, you know, that <laughs> there there was a, you know, yeah, Oliver for him. It was just a, yeah, that's a trick. They're all slayed and she's totally, you know, oh, maybe there's going to be something there. It's you know, I, I want to say what it was and what they were doing with this is they were kind of gauging how the fans were reacting to it as to whether or not they wanted to, to ship that next season. I mean, at that point, the fans were already like clamoring for it. I almost feel it was natural. I'll say this. It was natural. Uh, you know what it kind of reminded me of? I have, got something it reminded me of. 
Say but what? Go ahead. Well, I got something that reminded me of too, but go ahead. Sherlock. Uh, no, no. Okay. So are you, have you ever watched the BBC series Sherlock? Uh, I've seen the first two seasons. I've not seen the third. Okay. Well, so I've, I'm all called up. I've watched what is, uh, our assumption or, you know, the, the, what is assumed to be the finale of Sherlock mm-hmm. on that series. There is a character, uh, who the fans would love to see be like, basically there is an elicity situation on Sherlock. It's, um, it's the, the, the scientist chick, right? That's right. That's right. And so yeah. like the fans are all about wanting them to hook up and everything else. There is a moment where at the end of I, I hate to spoil this. I, you're gonna you're gonna spoil Sherlock for me. No, suffice to say, I'm not I'm not gonna spoil anything. Suffice to say, there is a very similar situation uh and scene in the finale that mirrors a lot of elements of this scene. And that's all I'll say about that, I suppose. But one way or the other, it reminded wow. me of Sherlock. What did it remind you of? So have you seen the first episode of season three of Rick and Morty? They aired it on April Fool's. Uh, <laughs> I heard about this. Okay. So they're, at one point, they're, they're in a Mexican standoff. Uh, one of the members of the Council of Rick has mm-hmm. Summer. And uh, uh, Rick is uh, – C-137 Rick is you know pointing the gun at him. And uh, he gives Morty a gun. And they keep talking about how like Morty is stupid because he keeps blowing the whole thing. He's like, yeah, you're an idiot, Morty. He's like, why? Would you? Even the other, the council, the Rick guy keeps going into it. And he's like, uh, and he's like, ah, oh, you know, bam. And, and Morty ends up shooting Rick. And he's like, who's stupid now? And uh, then uh, it turns out it was just a ruse. Rick shoots the the council of Rick guy, kills him. And then uh, <laughs> Rick was like, great job, Morty. You know, I'm glad, glad to see that you played along. And he looks on the side of the gun and it says, you know, fake gun, shoot me and shoot out. But Morty did not know that. <laughs> and so <laughs> so he was like fully into it, thinking that he was actually making fun of him. And I kind of got that here, whereas like, you know, she thought that maybe he was being honest. But did she then when the th- she got well, the serum when he said like like you say when, when he when, was saying it? Yeah. Yeah. So when she got the serum in, in her hand, that's when she played the morty part of looking at the gun and noticing that there's a sticker on that that he was supposed to shoot her all right and and yeah yeah that or shoot him rather yeah that that was that was the thing there because she totally fell for it and she was totally going for it and then she saw the 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 serum and she was like oh well darn (laughs) yeah see i kind of loved the heartbreak in that yeah it was palpable it really was and that's that's the elicity that i like and I, I, I like that. Like I like the idea of kind of this uh, a little bit of pining and a little bit of heartache, and that and like and maintaining that right there, because that's not a relationship that should have ever happened. But that's later seasons. We'll talk about that when we get there. Um, you know. So, but but one way or the other, uh, you know, we got a lot of exploration into Diggle, some reveals about his family. Uh, the revelation of you know who who is and is not alive, and and then also who is <laughs> is not uh, in the future. In fact, we got at the very season finale, we got Amanda Waller asking him, you know, is it a boy? Is it a girl? And I'm just looking at the television like it doesn't matter. Barry's about to change the timelines. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it technically it was both at one point. So <laughs> exactly, I was like, I don't know, Amanda, which which timeline are you watching? Because uh, <laughs> for a while it's going to be one, and then it's going to switch over to the other. But uh, but no, we do get uh, you know some some Diggle family uh, history and and obviously you know the uh, a deeper deeper exploration into his his marriage and uh, yeah his uh, discovery at the end that that he is to be a father uh, regardless of who that baby will or will only temporarily be. Um, 
Hashtag because Barry. Detective Lance at the very end of the season uh, has some heart issues. And I got to tell you, this season finale, one of the greatest. I mean, it, a great season finale to, to an exceptional season. Uh, and I loved everything. The only weak spot in the entire season finale was Detective Lance having all of a sudden health issues at the end. I thought that was kind of forced and out of nowhere. Well, and they even had to show you the, the like, replay the clip of him getting thrown across the room by the Mirakuru soldier in order for you to remember the fact that he was injured, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so, like, it's like, oh, yeah, Detective Lance, who we haven't really focused on for the last 30 minutes of this episode, uh, falls over. And quick flashback to the scene where he got injured. And it's like, oh, yeah, he's got a bruise and you know, he's got a collapse lung or whatever. Yeah, it, it felt really, really forced. I think, I think they could have done a better job with that by, uh, Showing him a couple more times, you know, not appearing healthy, maybe. I don't know. So they build up to it and it's not just all of a sudden blood everywhere and I pass out. Yeah. Okay. So this is my thought on this. Um, overall, the entire season, fantastic. It, it yes. really was a season like like th- this and last season go so well together. You almost get the sense in which everything that we got from the pilot was building up to the end of season two. Even the the moment that the you know the 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 big three right that Felicity and Diggle and and Oliver share on the beach after locking up Slade feels like the end of a movie. Like you know the 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 closure of what has been the entire storyline up until this point. And I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing, but you almost feel that some of the elements that happen in the cliffhanger, the necessary cliffhangers you need at the end of a television series, because it's serialized. You got to have a reason to come back next year. But they all seemed a little forced. Like, you know, we got Oliver off the island. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we, we got to that, the big moments from even the pilot, like him shooting the flaming arrow. Yes, he wasn't wearing, you know, the, the giant beard and everything else. But at the same time, like that is very much, I think even the, the shot itself of the flaming arrow lighting that pillar on fire was the exact same shot from the pilot. So, oh, yeah, I don't doubt it. So like this, this was the story. These, these last two seasons, like the, the first two seasons this is the story that the showrunners wanted to tell. And so everything else it's a little bit more of like let's let's write a check and see if we can cash it next year, and um, yeah, I guess that's all I'll say because right now we're talking about season two. But one way or the other, beautifully done overall for these two seasons. They work so well together. Uh, they really expanded the universe with season two, introducing characters and concepts that go far beyond what we knew from Arrow. I think even you know I know that I know they wanted to get to tell a Flash series. I mean, that's the other factor too. I feel like, you know, this were like the first two seasons and now they really want to tell a flash story and the way they set that up with kind of Barry Allen and, and even going so far as to show him being struck by lightning. That's, that's such a bold move in the universe that they established big moves, man. I mean, that that's, that's really the takeaway I think overall from this season is they went bold and they went strong and I think it paid off big time. Um, fun facts too. Uh, you know, we got the uh, the first time we ever heard my name is Barry Allen was actually, you know, when Barry introduces himself and uh, <laughs> in The Scientist, which I thought was kind of fun. Uh, it, was, it was kind of one of those things I was watching it. And then when he said it, I was like, ah, like the intro. I guess <laughs> he said the thing. He said the thing. Yeah, of course, he hadn't said the thing officially the thing. But there he said it because time travel. Uh, we also <laughs> got, uh, you know, one thing I loved was Sarah using a clock tower as her hideout. A uh, great nod to Birds of Prey. We actually had a Birds of Prey uh, um, episode in this, although not quite what I felt like it was marketed to be at the time, regardless. 
uh, there were a lot of nods to the Birds of Prey, but in in that comic book series, uh, these characters of you know Huntress and Black Canary are all kind of managed by um, oh I almost called her Watchtower Tower because that's what uh, <laughs> Chloe Sullivan's uh, uh, username is in uh, in Smallville, but uh, but no, they're actually uh, monitored by Barbara Gordon. Uh, the Oracle, who actually does their operations in the Gotham Clock Tower. So uh, a great nod to the Birds of Prey. Uh, And then just kind of a fun fact, something I picked up on that I just kind of made a note on as I was going back through these episodes, man, is it was kind of uh, thrown out by Linda Park, um, not the naked one in the future uh, from Earth (laughs) 2, but uh, but Linda Park, the, I guess- Pre-retcon. Pre-retcon Linda Park says uh, that Star Labs, the, the particle accelerator, was protested. Um, something I hadn't really thought about, but I kind of even, I wonder if we will get a deeper dive into that in the future, given the fact that Barry can, you know, go back in time and time is very much a, a constant plot, plot device for the flash. I would love to learn a little bit more about the protest outside of star labs. Who was protesting it? Why were they protesting it? You know, you almost heard her say, I went back and watched that scene a couple of times. Obviously it's a point of interest, but you hear her say very specifically, uh, Harrison Wells, although she says it kind of under her breath, like the way that it, the audio cuts in, it's it's like you, they don't necessarily want to commit to Harrison Wells as a character at that point. They're just kind of laying the groundwork. Um, but it's almost as if the Harrison Wells uh, uh, that that you know we now know as Eobard Thawne was specifically being protested. I'm kind of curious to learn more about that. Uh yeah. See, I, I think there the opportunity to. Exp- to explore that would have been in season one of flash because, you know, especially since you have this, uh, you know, particle accelerator explosion, creating metahumans, having a, a guy who was at the protest, you know, hate star labs, obviously because he got mutated or whatever by the, by the particle accelerator explosion. Like that's, that's a, you know, that's a rogue right there. That's a freak of the week. Yeah. You know? But I got to tell you, I, I would put money on before the series is done. Before Flash is over, we will see Barry go back to to the day that he became the Flash. And I, I think there's an opportunity in that for him to actually like hide out in the protest, which would be very surreal. That would be weird. Why would he do that? Well, I, I don't know. But I just, you know, there, there there's an element of wanting to go back to the beginning, right? Uh, and I, I think before it's all said and done, we will, I, 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 like I said, I'll put money on it right here. Like, I think that we will actually see Barry at some point in the series go back to the day that he became the Flash. I would argue that perhaps he himself is the lightning. So it may even be just as simple as that. But one way or the other, that's such a critical moment. And time is very much an element that they go to in Flash. So I, I think, I, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's a fair, I think that's a fair guess right there. I think that's a good... Arrow assumptions. There are several, like the Amanda Waller bit. We should, that was, should have been an uh, Arrow assumption. Wait, what are we uh, assuming about Amanda Waller? Uh, the, the casting choice. As oh, opposed to that's our Arrow. Oh, okay. That would have been an interesting use of Arrow assumption. And the Suicide Squad speculation. Uh, it was uh, it was a particular actress came out and said the you know that the, the uh, Warner Brothers had nixed their plans to use the Suicide Squad. Fair enough. All right. So I want to say it was Willa Holland said it. All right. When we when we do Arrow season three, Arrow TV talk season three, or at least uh, part one of season three, uh, sounds like we'll need to have a, a good Arrow assumptions bump queued up. 
Yes. Well, hey, you can help make Arrow TV Talk Season 3 happen, by the way. Um, in fact, this very episode is made possible completely 100% by you. Yes, you listening right now. Uh, those of you who are supporting us at patreon.com slash TV talk, one of our rewards uh, was to create this very episode. And uh, we've got a lot of fun additional episodes as well. So if you want to help, if you like these additional kind of content going back, taking a look at Arrow, we got Young Justice as a reward as well. You can go to patreon.com slash TV talk, support this podcast, help make that content happen uh, so that we can work hard to make sure that you get some shows that you love in addition to the Flash TV Talk episodes that you know and love as well. Speaking of which, man, when do we get some new Flash? Uh, not this week, obviously. Mm, no. Maybe next week? When does the Flash return? That's what I want no, to know. No, it's not, it's not next week. It's week after next. All right. Week after next. We got a whole... <laughs> yeah, it's the very end of April. Very end of April. Okay. All right. Well, no, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. We can do that. We can make it work. We'll, uh, we, we, we will survive. I actually, I did uh, just, just like Barry Allen to be late. I did tweet out earlier. They had a, uh, uh, a hashtag that was trending. You know about trending? Trend? No. It's like, like what the kids are talking about. Like, you know, whatever's trending and such. Wait, wait, wait. Like hashtag trending? Or are you talking about trending tweets? No, I'm talking about uh, uh, hashtag trending. No, I don't know about hashtag trending. No, it was a trending tweet. It was a hashtag why I was late. And so I did hashtag why I was late. And then I typed, my name is Barry Allen. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. But yeah, man. All right. So in that case, Flash coming back a couple more weeks. We'll get there. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, Stay tuned. Who knows? Maybe if you check your Flash TV talk feed, you might get a little bit of a little something extra. Maybe, maybe, like maybe some Flash video game talk. I don't know. It'd be a microcast, but stay tuned for that. In the meantime, like I said, help us make more shows happen like this one. Patreon.com slash TV talk. It exists because of you. If you're listening on the Satchel podcast player, click become a patron. It'll take you right there. You can also follow us throughout the week. You can follow me. I'm at the real Bo York. You can follow me at ring that bell spelled B E A L L. Of course you can follow the flash TV talk podcast at flash TV talk. Follow us flash TV talk.com uh, has all of our links to Facebook, Twitter, and whatnot. Head over to iTunes writers to review all of that good stuff. Guys, it's an untraditional outro because it's not necessarily flash TV talk. That's right. That's right. This is arrow TV talk, at least for yes, an episode. Everything's confusing. It's all up is down. It's mass hysteria. Dogs and and dogs living together. (laughs) Well, I tell you what, regardless of what happens to anywhere else, let's say this from us, the hosts of Arrow TV Talk, our retrospective on season two. We hope you had enjoyed it. And until next time, you stay on target, Starling City. (laughs) Hang on, let me, um, oh, I'm all out of gin. Oh no! Oh no! Got a little bit out, a little, little, little droppy drop. Got any ice in there? Just, no. just crunch up the ice. I already crunched up the ice. Oh jeez! This is post ice. Post ice. Yeah. Dun 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 dun. dun. Um. <laughs> it's gin and ice, ice baby. baby, and tonic and little lime juice. Ice, ice, baby. Gin and tonic and a little lime juice. All right, stop. Shake it up and stir it. I don't like it, but then I swerve it. All right.
<laughs> I drink it up, then I drive and I swerve it. Oh, <laughs> don't drink and drive. Nice. Rogue Media. <laughs>